This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 109 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Threat intelligence is a wide-ranging term, and it can mean different things to different people as they consider the variety of ways to best integrate it into their organization's cyber defense strategies. In today's show, we're exploring the possibilities for leveraging threat intelligence throughout your organization, from the SOC to the boardroom, from incident response to fraud protection, and much more. Joining us to guide our journey is Recorded Future's Mike Petronasi. Before joining Recorded Future, Mike spent time working with the U.S. Department of Defense, as well as with industry-leading organizations like Akamai and Cyber Reason. Stay with us. So I started out uh, working in Department of Defense as a contractor uh, with Lockheed Martin building um, you know, missiles and intelligence systems, and then um, kind of saw the cyber uh, and internet revolution, and so went to work at a company called Akamai to build um, content delivery and web security networks. And then um, kind of enamored with security, I, I worked for uh, an endpoint company um, and really got kind of some hands-on experience with um, the threat environment, um, seeing nation-state type attacks, you know, how it, how it feels to kind of the day-to-day grind of working in a SOC and doing incident response and all the challenges that clients are seeing with that. Um, it really became passionate about the problem. And so um, I, I was a customer of Recorded Future, and now I, I uh, jumped on board with Recorded Future to help build their product. Full, all in on the intelligence side now. Right, right. What, what, what was the things that uh, attracted you to the company that made you decide this was a move you wanted to pursue? I, I think philosophically, I believe in their mission uh, to try to kind of uh, attack the economies of scale of threat actors with, um, you know, kind of data and, and collection to kind of level the playing field between the good guys and the bad guys. Um, also, I see, um, you know, threat intelligence as being core to the... Um, the, the security solution. Um, you know, I was a, a vendor building a really good product um, to help one specific problem. Without threat intelligence, you know, uh, our product really didn't work. Um, kind of saw an opportunity to kind of help solve the problem that I thought was universal across all security products and problems. Well, before we dig into uh, our main topic, we're going to go through uh, the ways that threat intelligence applies to some of the main security roles in an organization. I would just want to start with some basic stuff because I, I think it's helpful to get some definitions. Uh, when when fo- when you're out and about and folks are uh, asking you about the work you do, how do you describe what threat intelligence is? Yeah, um, really, it's it's uh, the most important thing I think we do is we keep an eye on on what the bad guys are doing, right? And so having um, visibility into what attacks are happening in other clients um, or other businesses as well as um, you know, what, the, what attackers are doing in terms of innovation and the trends related to industry, that's really what keeps us up and what threat intelligence uh, is, is, is keeping an eye on the bad guy for the purpose of good. And, and at what point in the, the history of, uh, of organizations defending themselves did it become the most practical thing to work with an outside company to help provide this? I think 
most recently, you know, the the war has shifted from, you know, being a kind of a kinetic battle um, between nations to being an economic battle, right? And that's a battle that's happening on the doorstep of of every company now, right? Um, various actors are are trying to gain an advantage um, through cyber to get information, uh, disrupt business, and um, exploit you know weaknesses through fraud or espionage and and other things. So the war has moved to to the enterprise, right? M- most of these companies are the household names that you and I look to. And it's, it's almost akin to, you know, there, there's no, there's no police force really for, for cyber. Um, hmm. kind of like back when there was no fire department, there was kind of only these, you know, contract fire departments and fire was a problem and policing right. was a problem. And so I think that's, that's kind of the, where cyber is and, and companies are, are called to action to defend themselves or, you know, face the consequences. So, each company is essentially militarizing to to a degree to be able to kind of defend themselves against the threat that's there every day. Mm. Well, I, I want to go through uh, the ways that threat intelligence applies to some of the main security roles in organizations. Um, let's go through them together one by one. I'm going to ask you to uh, take us through them. Uh, why don't we start with security operations when we're talking about SOCs? The really the problem that that I think most socks face is is two things really um, an expertise in labor shortage so there's not enough people and not enough people with experience to investigate everything. The other thing is uh, now that there are a large investment in security tools and and, and many companies um, there's a plethora of alerts so there's tons of uh, alerts that go unanswered there's there's more really more than any human can look at and that's definitely the 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 common environment right now the answer to that problem is 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 automation and better decision making i think that a sock that you know lets a level 1 analyst triage an alert unaided you know using you know whatever they they're going to need something right the adversary is evolving every day. So it's, it's kind of hard to keep up with the state of the art. they also lack experience and being able to kind of, um, intuitively understand what's happening. And in most attacks are masked, right? They're meant to look like benign behavior. So what was benign yesterday is, is, is malicious today. You need an assist or you need a repository of knowledge about what, um, adversaries are up to, to help you, um, decipher benign from malicious. Hmm. And then, I mean, is is the threat intelligence platform sort of connecting the dots behind the scenes to to raise up those things that that might not uh, come to your attention if they were just individual alerts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about you know kind of making sense of the alerts you're already getting and triaging better versus unaided triage. But um, another way to use threat intelligence is uh, attack the blind spots you currently have um, by using threat intelligence and and kind of piping it into your um, detection system, either through endpoint, network, or SIM, um, or email, you can detect more. Um, it does mean more alerts, but hopefully these are uh, more intelligent alerts um, and things that already have context built into them so you know um, it's something worth looking into. Yeah, it helps you set your priorities. Right. I mean, uh, I think you know, coming from both the vendor side and the intelligence side, 
I know security vendors also, you know, they have a bias towards building their product. Their focus isn't solely on creating intelligence, right? And so definitely uh, vet your security vendors well, but um, adding threat intelligence can also give you a second opinion uh, against um, only listening to what uh, a security vendor has to say. Hmm. Well, let's move on to incident response. How does it contribute to that team? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, incident responders typically have kind of two modes. You know, one is definitely responding to anything that's kind of escalated from the security operations. And the incident responder is typically the last line of defense, right? They're, they're tasked with being the most knowledgeable person in the company on specific adversary behavior, and they need to understand tactics down to a very technical level as well as at a strategic level. Like, why is this happening? Hmm. And so threat intelligence can help them in two ways. One is contexting incidents or, or evidence they already have. Like, what does this evidence mean? What's likely um, happening here? And then also pivots to expand an investigation. So with related indicators and something more like a threat hunting posture that they could also do proactively in their other stance. So when there is downtime, not that there ever is, um, <laughs> you can use uh, threat intelligence to be a little more proactive and hunt for things and generate investigative leads um, and, you know, versus only relying on your SOC. Yeah, that's interesting to me because I guess in my mind, I, I think of incident response as being fundamentally reactive, that something, I mean, the word response is, is right there. Um, but you're saying there, there are proactive components that go with it. Yeah, I've, I've found that uh, a lot of organizations, um, when they hire the top talent to handle incident response, they also leverage that talent to, um, you know, do some proactive things, right? Prevent incidents is really a, a really sophisticated posture to have. And, and that's done by, by doing threat hunting. So um, you model the adversary's behavior um, into some sort of signature or set of, set of things, queries that you could run on, on your telemetry data. And, and they'll run those queries and then reduce the data down to the things that look like they're worthy of incidents. It's, and, and in some cases, they're actually prototyping things that can become detections for security operations. So it's a really valuable function um, that incident responders are filling in lots of mm. organizations. Let's move on to vulnerability management. Um, let's start off. Uh, can you define that for us? What are we talking about here? Yeah. So uh, patching bugs from all of your IT vendors uh, really is, is, <laughs> glamorous. is what vulnerability management is all about. Um, you know, you, most, most companies have a, a large portfolio of technologies they leverage to run their, their business operations, build their products, and everything in between. And so being aware of all the assets you have and what what the current configuration is is the first job you know having a in good inventory mm. um, but then the real problem is what do I do right what, what do I need to do and what do I need to uh, patch so so setting priorities again yeah so you know there's there's a lot of good um, information that comes out of NIST about vulnerabilities to help understand the severities so the CVE program and the like to kind of help make sense of all the vulnerabilities that are um, disclosed. But threat intelligence really helps um, as a layer on top of that to understand which vulnerabilities are being leveraged. You know, patching is an expensive proposition. Um, at a large organization, it can take a lot of uh, manpower, 
and downtime and, and actually just takes a long time. Um, there's the very latent to get to the various corners of your enterprise that are globally distributed and all frankly under threat if there's a vulnerability. So knowing to patch the right thing um, at the right time is really important. Knowing that the, the bad guys are out there actively exploiting a certain vulnerability and there's a patch available. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, definitely there's a lot of panic uh, around vulnerabilities. And mm. and I think there are some vulnerabilities that have been disclosed that are you know panic-worthy in terms of the impact they could have, like Spectre and Meltdown. But um, at the end of the day, um, there's not a lot you can do about it uh, in, in, except for phase out the hardware over time. And it, to our knowledge, you know, there's not there's not much being leveraged um, against those vulnerabilities, even though the impact would be devastating. But that would help, you know, knowing which vulnerabilities are actively being leveraged is definitely the, a key component to a prioritization function um, for an enterprise. And I guess it, it allows you to cut through some of the hype that's out there where, uh, you know, something could be potentially very damaging, but if no one's actually exploiting it, you need to know that information to be able to dial in how you set your priorities. Exactly. Severity alone is, is not enough, right? Um, just knowing that it could be very devastating. You know, it's it's like an asteroid hitting the earth. That's a that's a bad potentiality. But right. um, statistically, you know, let's all hope that that's a <laughs> that's all that's a low, low probability of, of, of happening in the near future. Sure. Well, let's move on to fraud prevention. How does uh, how does threat intelligence uh, inform what you do here? This is uh, a good example of uh, keeping your eye on the bad guy. Criminals communicate in in lots of ways that um, you know, just like business people, um, except they do it in different channels, and right. And so having an eye on on those criminal forums and understanding who's selling your data or or leveraging exposed data. Um, that's really how you can get a leading indicator on fraud, whether or not your organization is a target for fraud. So is this a, a matter of uh, you keeping an eye on some of those uh, dark web forums that might be uh, passing around uh, information uh, specific to your organization? Absolutely. That's, you know, um, you'll you'll be able to see credentials being passed around from your organization, payment information potentially from your, your organization's uh, customer base or potentially from your employee base. Other things like that definitely help you kind of stop the problem before it spreads um, and becomes something that um, has a, a financially damaging issue. Yeah, you know, one of the things that um, that you all pointed out in your research here was uh, the use of typo squatting. And that's not one that I'd really considered before. Can you describe to us what is that and then how do you guys protect against it? Yeah, so typo squatting is essentially uh, someone trying to impersonate your your brand. Um, so uh, a very common type of squatted brand is something like PayPal, right? Um, PayPal has mm-hmm. a wide uh, install base and lots of phishing and fraud tries to capture the credentials from PayPal at scale, right? This is something that's automated, very automated. Um, think like a marketing program, but around fraud. And so they'll buy a domain, something that looks a lot like PayPal, like paypal.support at some kind of very innocuous sounding domain. Right, um, but something it isn't, plausible. But it, but isn't owned by PayPal, right? Mm-hmm. And and they'll host a collection tool, essentially some sort of form. And they'll, they'll um, proposition a user 
that there's either some something some issue with their account that's urgent or or maybe something very benign that would get the user to click and once the user clicks and enters their information then it's gone right they've probably disclosed their everything from i've seen everything from name address phone to social security number, credit card number, bank account. And it's obviously being successful in numbers, right? They send this net out widely and and some people fill it out, right? Which which means that they have the ability to exploit somebody's um, credentials. So that's how we think we see typo squatting as a way fraud it permeates into, you know, kind of users. It's it's kind of a a, a subliminal trick that you think it's a reputable uh, domain that may belong to PayPal, um, but it's not. And so the notion here is that uh, I would get alerts that somebody is out there spinning up these domains that are similar to my own. Correct. Yeah. So the way to prevent that is is to kind of monitor all of your pr- brand properties, any keywords that your clients or partners would uh, potentially associate with you and then monitoring domain registration and um, other things to help you understand whether um, these domains are being registered against, you know, your brand. Well, I, the last uh, thing I want to discuss with you is how uh, folks at the leadership level in an organization can use threat intelligence. What are your recommendations there? Yeah, I think the most important uh, takeaway for security leadership is they really need to know the why, right? There's a lot of tools out there that are that are generating alerts and, and giving giving people signals about what's happening in the enterprise. And there's a lot of people that have developed kind of you know the next steps uh, tactically in terms of how to pr- solve a problem. But really, the the thing that security leadership needs is the why, and they need it for two reasons. Number one, uh, and most importantly, they need to be able to communicate concretely with their leadership and the board about, you know, who is exactly targeting them and why and what are their, which of their assets are under threat. And the best way that I've seen it done is, is through stories and case studies of other people that things have happened to that are similar to them, right? Their peers. And so threat intelligence is, is a way to help um, security leaders be authoritative and objective about the problem, right? It's not about inciting fear. It's about giving real world examples of how these threat actors are operating and how they're targeting you based on evidence you have from inside your network and outside your network through threat intelligence. So there's a really, there's a degree of specificity there where you're, you're getting information relative to your organization. It's not just the the broad news that's making the rounds. Right. You definitely care about uh, threat actors that are targeting your industry or your peers uh, more than you care about everything that's in the news. And I think being able to cite the examples of breaches or attempted breaches is very, very powerful. And at the end of the day, you know, most security teams are underfunded, undermanned. And so this is this is what we're seeing as a really strong way to advocate for resources. And when you do have resources, have enough visibility into the outside the network view so that you can invest your resources in a smart way to understand uh, what the real threats are and how you can actually make a dent and keep your organization safe and protect your employees and protect your partners and customers and protect your shareholders. Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Mike Petronasi for joining us. The report we were discussing today is titled How Threat Intelligence Applies to Six Main Security Roles. 
You can find it on the Recorded Future website. It's in the blog section. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.